Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Welcome to Game SoundCon. Uh, my name is Becky. I am the talent and production coordinator at Naughty Dog. And this is my colleague, Ryan James, who's one of our lead editors, and my colleague, Amy Puckett, who is our localization manager. <laughs> uh, we're here today to give you a conversation about dialogue, but I, first we all wanted to start with a little bit of background on ourselves. Uh, I came to video game production from the realm of a talent agent. I was the video game voiceover agent at SPV Talent and worked there handling video games for about eight years, five years as an agent, and uh, loved it and missed making things, so jumped over into the production side of things. I've been at Naughty Dog about five years, shipped three titles with them, uh, left behind Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy, mm -hmm. and working on The Last of Us Part Two. That's me. Uh, I'm Ryan, as she said. I'm a lead editor at Naughty Dog, which is a really kind of odd, unique position uh, that for me takes advantage of my film background. Um, aside from writing and directing some of our content, it is my job to uh, help the rest of the team create and maintain performances that feel like what you'd expect from an edited movie even when they are fully interactive. Um, thankfully, I am not doing this alone. I have a bunch of video and audio editors, as well as designers, which all work together with me to help make this possible. Um, I'm Amy. Uh, I'm the localization manager at Naughty Dog. So I started back in 2000 um, during Jack and Daxter. Um, there was no localization department then. Uh, they realized pretty early on that uh, there was going to be a lot more dialogue than any of the Crash games. So I was tasked with helping to keep that organized and then over the years just kind of created the localization department. I'm kind of my lone island over here, part of the sound audio team, um, but just kind of over here doing my own thing with the help of these guys. Um, back then we didn't even have an audio tool. All the files were just in folders, and I listened to everything and wrote it down on an Excel sheet. Um, so things have slightly changed from then, but <laughs> um, when things get really stressful, I just think back to that time of having to run down to the office and having Evan, um, who was just a designer back then, um, he would run a queue, and he'd say, nope, these files are still missing. And I'd run back upstairs and copy some more files over and run back down and hope that we grabbed everything that we uh, needed to have to finish the camp. Yeah, there was a lot of stairs. <laughs> um, but that's how I got started doing the localization there. I'm glad we're all on one level now. No stairs. <laughs> no stairs. No stairs. No stairs. No stairs. Yeah, we, you might hear us all chime in on each other's topics and points because we all work together really closely as a group. and. Uh, so it might be slightly Budinsky of some of us. Um, I am firmly uh, in the strong belief that the dialogue process really starts with your casting process. Um, and you should, um, ideally, if you suddenly find yourself in charge of casting for VO, either have a contact list of talent agencies and agents that you have contacted in casting in the past, or go make one. And there are, you can go past the big VO departments in town and include other theatrical departments and smaller managements and things if you have time. It's what I do in my downtime. I try to start exploring new contexts and I always tell actors when I meet them, make sure your agent hears from me. I'm happy to add them and include them in our casting process so that you get that option as well. Um, it's especially important to not to think slightly outside of just the voiceover side of the land if your project is shooting performance capture as well, because there's a lot of resources in the theatrical departments and talent agencies 
uh, that don't see um, emails from VoiceOver as often. Um, and you can really even explore past that if you're comfortable with it and your company is comfortable with it. There's a very um, traditional service called Breakdown Services that used to be faxed and now is on the internet um, that has an option on it that is called Actors Access, which opens things up to talent and people who do not have representation and they can submit themselves on your projects and opportunities as well. You can find some great people in there. It also includes a lot of more time uh, listening to things <laughs> and reviewing materials and sorting. So you have to make sure you kind of have that in your background as well too. Uh, I generally start at least six months before I think we're going to want to record something. Um, and I start making as soon as the creative team starts talking about anything, a list of characters that are gonna come up. And then it becomes bigger conversations of, okay, we know we have two different groups of enemies. We have, you know, how many enemies? Four enemies? Five? How, how many do you want? And then it's how many of those are women? How many of those are men? Uh, for Uncharted the Lost Legacy, it is, oh, you need them to speak Tamil. Okay, uh, let's figure out. That might take a little bit longer. Um, and exploring all of those notes, that things that get brought up. Uh, they, may, they may not think take time, but you on the casting side know take a little bit longer than expect. Um, I tend to gather as much information from our creative directors and our narrative team as possible, just so that I have a really good strong sense of what these voices and roles are going to be in the game. Um, so that when I have downtime, I can be thinking about, I know we need to cast Susie in nine months, so I'm going to start thinking about uh, actors and actresses I know that I think uh, the creative team might find really interesting for Susie. And I just keep a running list and a running chart um, of people that I have those ideas for. And then I supplement that with submissions from the talent agencies. And when they bring them in, then I review everything and go through the whole process. And then I make my recommendations that go onto the creative team. And then they review everything. And then we start seeing who's available to come in and see us. Um, so we have different examples of casting slides. The first one we're going to look at is a performance capture role. This was from Uncharted 4. It was for the character of young Nate. Um, so you'll see here that we do try to give them as absolutely much information as I can make the creative director release. Um, we do, um, this is before I started doing this, but now I do individually watermark every casting breakdown per talent agent. Uh, that lets me be able to give a little more information on it because then we know if it gets leaked to exactly leaked it. Um, so you'll see in here we have uh, what it is, who is the publisher and the developer, creative director, writers, uh, where it's going to be shooting. We shoot everything in Los Angeles. <laughs> Existing cast that we're allowed to speak about. Um, pretty much, uh, I'm lucky Neil and our creative team have been pretty willing to be public with that, at least to the actors and the agents. Uh, they trust people to respect the confidentiality of the casting process, and most people do. Um, I have had one person talk about it and brag about it in a bar to a friend unknowingly overheard by a friend of mine who then told me. And I called their agent and said, I need them to stop breaking their NDA. Um, it's not, I used to get those calls occasionally as an agent. It's never a fun call on either side. <laughs> um, important information about us is we trying to explain what a little bit of the performance capture process is when it's a performance capture role. There's a lot of people, um, both on voiceover side and TV and film, that have never done much performance capture. So it's important that they know it's not just voice behind a microphone, that they're going to be on their feet acting the scenes, much more akin to a play in live theater. Uh, character breakdown, uh, rough age estimation, what kind of accent they have, 
where they're from, description. We were lucky in this case, we got some beautiful concept art that they included. And then because this was actually a character we had seen before in Uncharted 3, um, and we had reference for the adult version, we included some video links so that the actors would have as much material as possible. So that's probably an example of the most thorough casting information I'm able to give when we're doing performance capture, but now we'll move on to one of our voiceover roles. This is for our mercenaries from Uncharted 4. So these were our core systemic enemy group that record a significant amount of dialogue in the game and pop up anytime you are getting into combat is Nate. Nate killed a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, but so I try to, it is a, under the SAG-AFTRA agreement. This was under the SAG Legacy Agreement um, before they had merged. Um, and then I give them pretty much when we need plan to record, as well as about how many sessions we estimate that this will take overall over the course of the project. Um, what accent? This was South African accented and then who these mercenaries are. We try to give examples of both some more conversational dialogue and then some more combat-related call-outs, and then we always try to get examples of people's efforts in the audition as well, because efforts are important to these roles and the success of our games sounding correct, um, because these characters are in as much combat as they are. So then we go from there to another example. These were incidental characters for Uncharted 4. We released and auditioned them as a bunch. Um, so it was anything from the priest at the beginning of the orphanage level, Coast Guard guys on the dock, to Italian guards when you're in Italy, all the way to um, some Spanish prisoners as well. Um, one thing that is really important to know is if you're auditioning something in a foreign language, meaning to be acted in that foreign language, you must provide it to them in that foreign language. You're not allowed to ask those actors to translate it for you. So that is an important key point. And then the last side of that slide is um, actually an example of a multiplayer character. It was a sidekick character, so there's less story-specific context and more incidental, so it was a lot more just straight lines without any context. That would be the least amount of context we try to give when we're auditioning for voiceover. And those were those. Um, another thing that is important to remember when you're going throughout the casting process is, um, especially for performance capture, you are not allowed to ask that actor to memorize that material. If you want them to memorize it, you have to pay them for it. That's established in the SAG-AFTRA agreement. Um, generally, we ask people to be as familiar with it as possible because it helps them feel more comfortable in the room. Uh, we encourage people to keep the sides in their hands so it makes them feel a little relaxed, a little less stressed. We do our performance capture auditions on our motion capture stage, which I also find very helpful because it lets them see the room where they would actually be acting. And uh, it, while it can be a slightly big room, um, it lets them kind of feel what the work opportunity would become ultimately. Um, when you are in production, you might occasionally get to the point where you have to replace someone, not anybody's favorite situation. Um, when you need to find a sound alike for an existing character, Usually this is because you can't come to an agreement with their team or somebody might no longer be available, they might have moved away. Um, in that situation, I try to be as honest as possible without spilling any secrets you shouldn't be spilling. Usually I've had those conversations on the phone with agents and I'm just careful what I put in any actual writing. Usually it's just that we couldn't come to, uh, we're replacing this person for production reasons call me if you'd like any additional information, and then I have phone conversations with those people. 
uh, advanced planning and project management is a big part of my job at Naughty Dog. I end up working really closely with Ryan and with our narrative team to figure out when we think we might be wanting to record our big groups of enemies. Um, I try to reach out about two months ahead of when we think we might want to start recording to start getting actor availability because we tend to record in pairs, um, which means when people are really busy, it's a little hard to schedule. <laughs> Uh, so it's necessary to get them paired up as much as we want. We have found that um, recording people in pairs is more enjoyable for the actors, um, and it gives them little breaks, and it uh, gives them somebody to play off, and generally it's really beneficial for people who are slightly less experienced if they haven't done as many games as some other people have, because we usually try to pair them with somebody who is a little more experienced, and that way they have a great example right there. Uh, we also try to have a very realistic expectation on what's possible to get done in a session. And that is very dependent upon who your actors are. <laughs> so very few performers can give you the performance you want and the delivery you want and have the time to work it out with you if you're trying to shove them through 800 lines in a session. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, there are a few people in town who can do it and do it well. Uh, they're at the top of their game for a reason, <laughs> you know, and it's like not, not everybody is Nolan and Troy is my example. I've said often in the office, like can get through a lot of material. Um, 300 to 400 lines is a more honest expectation of about what you could expect to get through in a session with somebody. And all of that is very dependent upon the character voice the person is doing and the talent's vocal health and safety within the room. You never want to push them uh, to the point of injuring the performer. Um, there are different SAG-AFTRA guidelines, and they're working on a committee, and there's a whole conversation about this later, but uh, a brief moment about vocal stress. We try to keep our uh, material to about 175 lines of projected material per session. That's our base. Um, so we have varying aspects of projection, and some of them count as full-out projection, some of them as half projection. Ryan and I work closely about figuring out where that balance lies. Um, what's most important for me and part of what I, is really important to me in my job at Naughty Dog and I'm at all the sessions is fostering an atmosphere of trust between our performers and the directors of the sessions so that our performers really feel honest and they, when we say to them, are you okay? Can you keep going? Where are you at? How comfortable are you? This can wait. They don't feel like they're in jeopardy of not having their job and not being able to continue working and they can give us an honest answer of like, I don't think I have much more of this in there. We kind of walk through our plan and kind of just walk people through it to see where they're at. There is some information that is required to be given uh, by the union at the time of booking. This is uh, a recent update um, to the SAG-AFTRA interactive agreement. So it's up here on the slide, but basically the date, time, and location, you need to tell them the offer of the money that you're offering them the role names and the number of roles. That's important. You need to decide that when you're offering the work, not once you're in the session. Um, the anticipated number of sessions. I try to give the time frame for when we expect those sessions to happen within. Um, are they replacing somebody? The location. And then um, this is, um, that's all the stuff that I kind of go for. And then here are the actual requirements for what you get. Um, 
I don't have oh, the you actual have ones. Here's the actual ones. Sorry. Um, so I'm just going to read this to you because they've worked on the language. The employer is obligated to provide a full and forthright description of the role at the time of booking, which shall now include, to the extent known, the following additional information, which may be provided verbally to the performer or his or her agent and made subject to a non-disclosure agreement. So you are allowed to ask them to sign a non-disclosure agreement before you give them this information. It's the code name of the program whether that is based on previously published property, so if it's a death or title in a series or part of an ongoing series of work. Um, if the performer is being asked to reprise a role from a prior game, the genre, so if it's a fighting shooter game, role-playing game, simulation, racing, sports, or puzzle, casual kids, they give a bunch of example exaggerations. Sorry, that wasn't English. Example categories. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Uh, and then whether the performer will be required to use profanity or racial slurs, that is something that's important. And we do that on our performance capture as well. You didn't see it on that one, but we're very upfront about the fact that, for example, when casting for The Last of Us Part Two, this is an M for mature rated game. It is a very dark, gritty, apocalyptic adult world. There is profanity and racial slurs in it. It is not directed in a derogatory, I don't think there's racial slurs actually. No. No, there's profanity, sorry. Um, but um, it is usually <laughs> a lot of profanity. Um, it is not usually, um, uh, most people don't mind, but there are people that do mind, honestly. So it is really important that you uh, give them that caveat up front. And then whether there will be content of a sexual or violent nature. And it is important to know um, when casting performance capture roles that you must disclose if there's nudity in the project doesn't come up as often in games as it comes up in TV and film, but it is a guideline that you have to follow as well. And then last uh, but not least, you need to tell them whether there will be stunts required for that role itself, um, and that you will hopefully have a stunt coordinator on site um, to assist with that part as well. Um, there's one other thing that came up in the last agreement, um, is there is an additional compensation bonus, and you need to tell them if you're paying that upfront at the time of booking, or if you're calculating them at the end of the project and paying that at the time of release. That is a question most agents will now ask you and want to know the information to. So that's kind of my function at Naughty Dog, is to focus and get out in front of the casting as much as we can, get all the deals in place for the performance capture roles, get all the sessions scheduled, going for the enemy sessions and so forth, and keep a running list to make sure things don't get missed. And then it hands over to Ryan. Yeah, basically, Becky makes it so that I can do any aspect of my job. Um, uh, as she said, when we are in session with our actors, we really uh, prefer to pair them um, whenever possible. It doesn't matter whether it's our principal actors or our enemies or some random NPCs. We find that this allows us to profit from their chemistry, just like we would get from our actors on the mocap stage. We also have all of them wear the same type of microphones on those little mocap hats so that the audio quality and like sound matches exactly what we get from the stage. It's also how we can then get ADR to intercut into a cutscene and have it feel seamless. Um, the additional thing that Becky also mentioned is that the pairing provides a vocal rest for them when we're doing stressful material and we actually make plans to do that material at the end. So we, um, we actually, especially if it's a story session, we kind of usually record things mostly in the narrative order, but we still save anything that's a heavy section of shouted material to the very end. We also take efforts and we put those at the very end as well so that the actors can kind of uh, 
basically so we don't blow out their voices. Yeah, efforts are as stressful as yelling. A lot of people don't think about that, but a sustained amount of punching efforts, even if it's not a full-out death effort, is as hard on your throat as yelling lines out. Same goes actually for whispered material. We count our whispered stuff in the same way as we do the uh, projected, though we normally will record spoken first and then uh, whispered and then projected. Um, I am running out of battery because this surge protector is probably not turned on. Or is it just not plugged in? Hope that solved it. Okay, so yeah, this is an example from Uncharted Four of our kind of plan to of when what categories we were going to get of vocally stressful material, and we kind of planned it out per day. This is like I think there's a session two and a session three, so we kind of split it up. And we schedule those about a week apart from each other. Generally, we try to do about one session a week in our enemy sessions, and we'll do them in bunches. We'll do the, like a round of five sessions at one period, then come back about six to eight months later and do another round of sessions. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing we try to do for all of our actors whenever possible um, is, is provide as much context as we can. Uh, we usually bring a video capture of whatever uh, story level we are recording in its most current state. Um, if it happens to have any cinematics that we've shot that are already put in the game, we actually watch those down with the actors beat by beat so that they have context of exactly what emotional state their character is in so that they can match it to keep our tone consistent. Um, also, since whoever is directing the VO at that time is a member of the dev team, they usually can give the actors more information about the material that they're covering, which um, maximizes the realistic and naturalistic quality of their performances. In order to facilitate this, it, like every, almost everyone from the dev team who has does direct actors has undergone at least some sort of maybe informal training about working with actors, uh, so that that process is goes as smoothly as it can. Sometimes it's as simple as us remembering. Oh yes, they're in a jeep. <laughs> we need to we need to hear them over a jeep. Yes. Uh, so when we are at ADR, we have a whole bunch of, we kind of work out of a Google sheet with multiple columns and we have multiple people whose role it is to fill out one of those. And so it's uh, really important and crucial that we have one person dedicated to just marking what takes we're getting, one person pulling the selects if the director says something, one person uh, noting anything that the director or any of the team says that we're gonna need to keep in mind when either editing or implementing these uh, lines later into the game. It's all depending on their discipline. We've also found it really useful, if possible, to continually work with the same engineer and team within the ADR uh, studio um, and build on this established relationship and like understanding of terms, um, such as like we have a term that we've made up that is the land between spoken and projected lines called spojected, where it's when you're throwing <laughs> your voice about 10 feet. And like uh, they, you know, when we we can tell our engineers that, and they know what level that is in between, and aren't like, what the hell is that? Um, it's also useful that they kind of know the drill with us if they've done it before, because we are notorious for sending certain materials the morning of, because we'll remember something at the last minute, or be polishing it at the last minute, or be getting a brand new capture of the level that is more accurate the morning of, if need be. Uh, speaking of the last minute, uh, we also don't always want to paint ourselves into a corner when a level is in a rougher state. 
So we often record alternate versions of lines so that we have multiple versions back at the studio as design starts to lock things down later. We even record, this is a script with our CYA lines, as in cover your ass, um, that we get with our heroes and the NPC allies so that we can pivot as the game changes. We get super generic phrases like, hey, look at this, come on, this way, or a wild laugh or a scoff in multiple emotional states and contexts just in case we need them at a later date. And believe me, we do. Uh, you will understand better in a moment why these are so useful, both in my half and uh, Amy's. Yes, <laughs> and we do understand. I mean, we are really lucky to be able to do that and factor that time into our plans. We just know that's something we need to make our games the way that we need to be, so it's accommodated in the estimated number of sessions we're going to have extra material that might not wind up in the game. The yeah. territories actually have started to do their own version of Cover Your Ass as well on their side just in case... Um, something that we've sent and then we want to like change it up and use something like a hey there over, you know in a different part of the game they've recorded something that they can use instead of just nice. reusing ours I did not know that that's new <laughs> <laughs> that's because of us um, so back at the studio after we've recorded uh, we divvy up the material we have gathered depending on the type of content uh, the bulk of our recording is either systemic dialogue, those kind of barks that play when you are in combat, or story dialogue. All of this material is brought back to the office and stacked, meaning each take of a line is edited in a DAW playlist and arranged in columns, so we can quickly listen down to all of the takes in line when we're making our selects. We name and export each of these thousands of individual lines as separate files and upload them to our dialogue database tool. Meanwhile, we also sink a huge amount of time into higher profile animated moments. We have two types of animation that we work on with different pipelines, and it'll be helpful if you know this terminology for some stuff we're gonna talk about later. So we have our cutscenes, our cinematics, that are the big uh, non-interactive moments when you know big emotional moments happen in the game. They have the best lighting. They, uh, there's nothing interactive about them. And then we have something we call an IGC, which is an in-game cinematic, um, where some portion of it may, or may be interactive at any one time. They're usually shorter. Um, these used to define the difference between an animation that was live in the game versus that was in a pre-rendered movie. But now, since Uncharted 4, everything is live. The distinction gets smaller and smaller between them. Um, but often, they are interactive. So that means that they often change multiple times, being shortened, lengthened, recaptured, until design thinks they feel right within the pace of the gameplay around them. There are hundreds of these things littered all throughout the game. And so editorial needs to keep up with any timing adjustments, moving parts of the audio around to match the animation as it changes. Cutscenes, meanwhile, are handled differently. Um, since they are the most important, uh, emotionally important beats in our stories, they have their own editorial process that is completely separate from the rest of these assets, and they have a more movie-like post-production pipeline, complete with surround sound mixes. But all of these animations, and especially all the individual audio files, need additional support from design in order to actually play back in the game. Most of the dialogue you hear in our games are individual files scripted by hand with specific timing. We even have a designer and a team of scripters 100% dedicated to creating systems for hooking up dialogue. They are crucial to achieving naturalistic performances, 
since any pauses, overlaps, or interruptions that replicate the actor's original performances are entirely crafted by the people implementing them. Whenever it is helpful, the editorial team can provide design with videos as a guide to suggest specific timing, but again, it's really all up to them. So all of this dialogue and all of these animations, they start coming together in the game. This is when a glut of minor and major changes truly start. And all those alts and CYAs we recorded really come in handy. A cutscene or a conversation might work in a vacuum, but it's not until we get these pieces into the game that we can truly judge what works. For us, it's about, uh, we have a phrase called getting it on the stick and feeling it out. Um, and then making sure the performances remain consistent despite any adjustments we need to make. We continually tweak, swap, and rearrange our dialogue and our animation, sometimes over the course of years, all to improve the emotional connection between the player and what's going on around them. Unfortunately for Amy, the game continues to change even after we hit our localization lock deadline, because at Naughty Dog, we are just willing to throw away work if we can make that moment that much better. Uh, so the editorial and scripting team, as well as the loc team, uh, <laughs> consistently chase the change. We are trying to keep the performances sounding natural while conforming to the needs of the game as it involves, evolves into its final form. Sometimes, if that we do that to those specifically timed animations like cutscenes or IGCs, and we change them after localization, we even have to re-edit the files returned from all the territories by hand on our end so that there is sync maintained across all languages. Uh, but I should let Amy speak more to the difficulties <laughs> of this process. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I have often used the analogy, they've heard it many, many times over the years, um, that localization is like watching the storm on the horizon. You see it, it's big, it's gloomy out there. There's not much you can do about it except wait for it to hit. Um, localization, it's the last part of the pipeline, and it's dependent on multiple departments um, ahead who are trying to hit their deadlines and having hiccups and the ever-changing actor schedules. Yet the localization deadline for the game is never going to move, and that's the gold master date. Um, for Loke, it is the ever-looming date that we never have enough time for, and it is the final pencils down. I've literally had Kristoff standing behind me the morning of a gold master where I am hand-putting in the last of the cinematics that just came in five minutes prior to get Uncharted 4 out. Um, it's not the best way to do things. Um, so for scheduling, um, being in constant contact with the cinematic editors, your dialogue team, your casting coordinator, and your localization partners, um, these folks are gonna be your best friends through the production. Uh, the first step is to know what their plan is for cinematics and ADR. Um, what do they think their schedule is? What kind of hiccups do they foresee with, their, with the actors for English? Um, and then the next idea, I worked hard on those slides. Yes. Um. <laughs> the uh, plug down here does not accommodate the brick unless I unplug something probably important. Um, so while Ryan figured this is, I it's like, it's like how it all works at Naughty Dog. Um, <laughs> this is exactly what happens. Like things happen and you just have to roll with it. Um, so once I kind of get an idea of what the cinematic schedule and the ADR schedule is um, from Becky and Ryan, 
Um, the next idea is trying to figure out exactly what our GM date is going to be. Um, nobody ever wants to give out this date, so you listen when other people are having conversations, you search through folders and try to figure out when that is. Obviously, as your production is going through and you get within that last year, like dates start coming up, and I try to use that. Um, so that I can make the drop dead look date that Ryan was talking about. That's where we get all the English files have to be out to the territories. Um, I try to make that date at least three months before the gold master date is. It rarely works like that. Um, knowing that our recording schedule is going to go over, it's probably going to be close to two months. It might even be less. That has happened, and I do not recommend it. Do like recommend doing it that way. Um, that is very, very crazy. Um, and then obviously throughout the development cycle, I'm just constantly checking in with them to make sure that, hey, this month we were supposed to record these three characters and go to mocap for cinematics TV three times. Did I'm that so actually sorry. happen? Probably not. No. Um, so then I'm just readjusting what my localization delivery schedule is. One it's second. coming. It's coming. It's restarting. We found some actual power. Um, so what can you do in the time where you're trying to figure out what everybody's schedule is? Um, I call it prepping for the storm. So you kind of prep what, prep what you can ahead of time. Um, since I've been doing localization for the last 18 years um, at Naughty Dog, and I've just kind of been my own person, um, I've set up templates, and each game I kind of realized a piece of information that was really helpful that I added last time. And so it's always like evolving. Um, so one of the things that, since there's a little bit of downtime, as the recording's starting to ramp up and we're getting in and out of motion capture for cinematics, um, which, uh, sorry. <laughs> so actually one of the things that is unique about my position at Naughty Dog is that I'm actually at all the mocap sessions. I go to the cinematic sessions, I'm going to the gameplay section, uh, sessions. Um, this is helpful because when I'm there on the mocap stage, I'm acting as the note taker that Ryan described um, for the ADR sessions. So I'm taking the notes for the animators and editors um, for each of the scenes, and I'm also taking my own notes um, for reminders of lines that were added. Did somebody ad lib a line? Um, did by scene, like by take eight, have they rearranged how everybody's even like talking in the scene? Um, yay. How many pieces did we shoot this cinematic in? Exactly, we split up some of those larger scenes into multiple pieces and you wanna know how that's going to go because that's probably gonna turn, one scene will probably turn into four separate individual scenes. Um, so all of that, all of those notes that I've been taking while I'm on stage helps later for the script as read. So. Um, and what that is, is every audio file, whether it's a gameplay audio file or character stems for cinematics or IGCs, we're listening to. And so the script is read is actually what the actor has actually said versus what was written. Some are really good about sticking to what was written and then others, not Improvise. so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've even had a few instances where we've captured IGCs with stunt actors um, on a gameplay day. And then as we're getting closer, I realized, hey, I don't remember ever seeing an IGC stem for that scene that we did. 
Um, so perhaps we need to record dialogue perhaps, for it. <laughs> hey, Ryan, like, do you have anything? Um, so it doesn't always happen, but there are things that like slip through the cracks, especially when you're doing scenes with stunts and the animators aren't thinking about something that needs to be written. Um, so it's nice that I'm there for both kinds of motion capture um, sessions to catch some of those things that fall through the cracks. Uh, one of the steps that actually helps with our localization is that we try to record our systemic uh, VO first. Um, this is especially the enemy VO. Um, this is like the largest chunk. Um, it's kind of easy because it's just very straightforward lines. So we don't have to make sure that the localized versions are sticking exactly to um, where our pauses and stuff are like they have to with the gameplay and cinematic IGCs. Um, so if you can get that chunk out to localization first, get them going on that. It's a good starter to make sure that your tools are working right, that everybody's kind of on the same page of the style of what should be happening for your game. It's also, I'll say, it's kind of a given. We know there's a lot of things in our game. They're going to spot the player. They're going to search for them. They're going to try and shoot at them. And so there's a lot of things we know ahead of time at the very beginning that we know we can record that's pretty safe. So that's why we try and get the glut of that material out of the way so that we have time to deal with the scheduling nightmare that is recording story. <laughs> yes. Um, which then, um, so once you actually have some files and you're ready to like send these deliveries out, um, keeping your deliveries as organized and detailed as possible is super important. Um, just like we have character bios for our casting, we also send, I also send out the character bios um, and voice samples uh, to our localization uh, producers um, in Europe and Asia so that they can have the same resources that we have so they can cast to, to the best of their ability. Um, I've adapted my delivery um, email template um, over the years. And so I've learned that the more information you can give, uh, give out of who, who are the characters in the folders, how many files should they be expecting, um, all works out. Because it never fails that something got missed when you're exporting out the batch and you think that you've sent bad guy C and you've marked it off, but bad guy C did not get sent out. Um, and so then you're scrambling uh, later. Bad so the <laughs> bad guy, bad guy C. Um, it is, isn't it? I mean, darn him. Um, so I also keep all the files for our box types separated out. So we have the general lines are systemic. You have the gameplay lines. I do by levels. Like the easier it is for them to ingest all your information, the better. Um, and just like context for our actors um, for the English, um, context is key uh, for lo local, lo lo sorry. For localization. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> um, over the years, I've learned that the more information of context that you can give for any text string or audio file helps. Um, a couple of projects ago, I started adding small gameplay videos uh, to go along with the sections of our um, various levels of games, and that it was crazy how many queries were like cut down just by doing that. Um, you only need to get a query from German about the wall, and they don't know how to translate it because is it a brick wall, a wooden wall? Is it on the outside of the house, the inside of the house? All of that matters for the German translation for wall. So once you start 
seeing those types of things, you're really constantly learning, trying to figure out how to give them all the information um, for their best translations. Um, for cinematics, I send the full script as read as the Word doc. Um, and then I also do the Excel sheet uh, for subtitles um, that can see how the lines for anybody's monologue or anything and what frame numbers. Um, also adding as much context as possible. Um, I try to wait to send the cinematics and IGCs until they're close to being polished. Um, it works better than just sending them our mocap for up. Um, the mocap, like our actor might be holding like a piece of felt and that could be very important, but you're not gonna know unless you actually see everything like animated together. So, um, Is it a map? Is it a letter? Exactly. Is it a picture? Those are all the queries you're gonna get if you just send a four up because they're not going to understand what you're- It's made of paper or brick or Why are or they wood. sitting on that box? <laughs> um, so yeah, so as much context, as much information um, that you can give is going to get you the better translations. And then keeping it all organized is the key. Um, this is my lifeline. It's so, the mother of all spreadsheets. <laughs> um, you're, I'm basically working as the asset manager, and you need to keep track of thousands of audio files and text strings that are going out and coming back in uh, for localization. So having a robust dialogue tool is essential. Like I was speaking about earlier with no tool, Imagine this, but like every line that Daxter and Samos and everybody had said in Jack and Daxter in just one spreadsheet. Um, luckily, we have a more robust tool now that is, there's always Functional. some feature that you want added, but when I think back to what it used to be, I'm pretty happy um, with our dialogue tool right now. Um, I keep track of all the cinematics and the IGCs in this Lifeline spreadsheet. Um, I have a lot of columns, and I use a lot of colors to code things, so that that way you can quickly see like which sections the red means it had a lot of resends. We haven't seen it back, um, and so that way it's like easy for me when somebody's like asking me where something is, why is this missing? I can go to the spreadsheet very easily and quickly and see what the problem is. Usually just by reading the color um, for the line for the scene. Um, so yeah, so you just don't even want to know like if something's even been captured or just sent out. Like, I write dates for everything because it never, it always comes back to, well, when did you send that? Because I changed this version. And so you want to know what the date, what the version is. Um, our cinematics and IGCs go through multiple revisions. So something might go out as rev number 10, but by the time we're getting it back, and we have to resync stuff up, we could be on 18, 20, 25. <laughs> it never ends. So keeping track of all that and keeping the detailed notes for what has changed. Um, no change is insignificant or too small. Um, it's taken a lot of years, but Ryan and his uh, editing team, they're really good about sending me exactly what they changed. Um, when you hear the change of, oh, I just, took some time out in the middle, um, that doesn't help you. Because we removed you, 10 frames at 235. That and... helps, because that's what you need, because 13 other audio languages um, are going to need the same fix. So hearing that something just got cut out in the middle doesn't help you very much. 
Um, so I've also, over the years, learned a little bit of SoundForge, Pro Tools, Premiere, Reaper, any little bit that I can learn from Ryan and his team so that I can bring in the files and start making easy changes and easy edits on my end. Otherwise, I've got to wait for them to get time. They're swamped with everything that they're trying to do. So knowing just a little bit of stuff with those tools have helped me immensely. Um, and then also, you need to be checking all the foreign files because even though they're explicitly told to match RVO exactly, there are certain languages you know are going to be a little bit problematic, and the names are going to be coming back wrong, or they're going to have extra frames in the beginning or at the end, and you're going to have to like trim all that up. Um, so to keep track of the territories and the process, I'm always checking in with them a few times a month. We have scheduled phone calls, emails, so that I can find out if they're having like actor problems, because just like us, they're trying to schedule all of their actors. They don't always necessarily know how many, how many lines I'm going to be sending them. But I try to, if I know information um, that's problematic with our schedule, handing it and letting them know as soon as possible helps them. Um, the last oh, And Europe goes on vacation in August. Yes. All of Europe. Nobody's available to work from like basically no mid-July to like mid-September. Um, Around the holidays is also a problematic time. Mm -hmm. um, For all versions of scheduling. Yes, so um, keep that in the back of your mind when you're trying to schedule. Um, the last few games, I've actually pushed them to send their master localized files as they receive them. They used to wait until their batches matched ours, which was it's crazy because they might not be able to get their Chloe actress in. They couldn't get their Chloe actress in for France. and. They sat on a bunch of files because they really wanted their batch to match, their delivery three mat batch to match what I had sent. Um, and that just loses a lot of time. So the last couple of games, I've gotten our local producers to be on board with sending stuff as it's mastered. And then that lets you find out if, the, if something's missing a whole lot faster. Because when everything comes in at the end, which more than often is the case, it is, there's at least something you can do about it if you've been receiving the files and you can find that hole of that file that did, you know, got missed or got um, sent. And then we also QC all of the cinematics, so it never fails that some line got missed on a character stem. So if you can know that ahead of time, you can get um, them to record and bring their actors in so that they have the same lines that we do. Emergence in the, emergency Italian Chloe pickup. Yes. <laughs> as well as Sam Drake yelling gun that was somehow accidentally dropped. Accidentally muted accidentally from muted. the English from multiple versions and then found out two weeks before we were gold mastering. That <laughs> um, all worked out though. So, uh, <laughs> which brings me to everything's gonna work out. It's all gonna be okay. So, <laughs> That's fine. Don't look too close. Um, so needless to say, localization has many challenges. And a lot of times it feels like you're just trying to stomp out all the small little fires before you're completely engulfed in flames. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes the house is burning down. But if you have good, reliable people like we do at Naughty Dog, everybody pulls together. And it's kind of the Naughty Dog way is a phrase that gets used often. Um, but if you're just keeping up with everything and super detailed and you got to love spreadsheets if you're going to be part of the localization team um, and you're just ready to change plans at any time, you'll be pretty successful. 
Yeah. Thank you. I think we have a little time if anybody has any questions. You don't have to, but we're happy to answer any questions. Shoot, go ahead. So you're mainly using Excel spreadsheets at that point? Yes. There's no other software like a, a branching narrative mapper or something that... I, to be perfectly honest, have never heard of those. So I'm <laughs> going to make a mental note. Um, so one of the things is... So Naughty Dog's been my only video game company, and I kind of fell into it. When I started, I was the office manager, and they needed somebody to keep track of everything. So it's just been over the years, my own just knowing Excel, like knowing how Excel and Word works, um, and that everybody has access to like Excel um, that I've used and just seems to be kind of the, the easiest way to go about it. I mean, we do have our, our own internal tools that we can track things in because we are notorious for always building uh, most of our tools rather than purchasing middleware because then we can customize it to exactly what we want. And the good of that is that it ends up giving people everything they want. The bad is that everybody wants to use that same tool in a different way. And so Excel is basically our... Uh, stopgap when the tool can't do what we want or it's the quicker way of just kind of figuring something out as we use that. Yeah. I love Excel. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm curious that somebody, somebody really figured out the mind-blowing stuff. Well, well, Sheets has actually been, with all the problems with Google Sheets, um, it, it, has, it still has actually been our latest lifeline because at least it's a live document that everybody can edit and script into, and so that's helped us a lot. We've started to move a lot of things in that direction, but Amy only needs her thing for her, so it doesn't need to be a live thing that we can yeah, all like, and when mess with. They're using spreadsheets um, to like log all their translations back into the dialogue tool on the localization side, so it's just sort of this universal, everybody knows how that works, so. Yeah, when we're, we're we're editing subtitles and things, that's in our dialogue tool in Cypher. Yeah. Yeah. Just to keep in perspective, how many lines of dialogue are you sending out? Amy knows. Um, <laughs> I think on Uncharted 4, it was around 55,000 audio lines. Plus, that's not even including the cinematic stems yeah, and cinematic. things like that. Yeah, like each one of our enemies had about a thousand lines per person, and, there were and that's just for that cycle. Yeah, and there were twelve. Go ahead. Hey guys, uh, I'm Aaron Jackson, um, audio lead with Relic, and then formerly with EA for a bunch of years. And a few stint on FIFA, where we did thirteen languages per year. So I feel your pain. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Um, so there, uh, when everything goes out, we make sure that they have the script and the audio file um, to match so that when they're with their um, the foreign actors, they can pull in the English file, hear how our actor um, has said the line to match. For the most part, they do an excellent job. Um, we also have uh, low QC inside Naughty Dog now, the last couple of projects where we have people like um, to do the various languages. And then Asia and Europe also have their own low QCs. 
Um, and so then that way, if there is a problem with the line, they can flag it or they can adjust the translation and then let the producers know that an actor might need to go back um, in to like re-record a line. We're also um, highly encouraged to have a relatively diverse lingual office to play the game in another language towards the end. If you speak another language, please play it in that language. Oh, and they find stuff. And they find They do. <laughs> the problem is sometimes they find it too late yeah. and there's not much you can do about it. Um, obviously, the text-only languages you can be changing up to the last mo moment, but there is... There definitely comes a time where you want an audio fix from a foreign language and there just isn't any time to do anything about it. Um, so if you have a lot, which can happen sometimes, um, you're kind of trying to pick the ones that are most egregious egregious, and then um, and do and do that. Um, and then make your case for a patch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so besides the engineer, there is usually someone taking notes on of uh, at the ADR stage as far as what like what takes we've recorded. That's the assistant engineer usually from the studio. Um, then there will be our dialogue supervisor who's there uh, to who ends up managing the dialogue editors, and uh, their job is to uh, ensure that everything sounds right and matches. Like, if the, make sure like that's not what spojected sounds like. Spojected is like they need to add one more to that or whatever. And then whoever's directing is obviously interfacing with the actors. Becky's there to make sure we don't break the don't actors. Don't break anybody. Um, um, often the writers will be in the room. Mm -hmm. um, our creative director often will bring the other his other principal writer into the session with him because they tend to rewrite a little bit on the fly uh, when something's just not feeling right uh, with the performer. We do not. Like, we like, don't. Yeah. Um, so, so as, since we're um, owned by Sony, um, the Sony producers over in uh, Europe and uh, Japan and Asia, they I give them all the information and then they take it from there and send out to their localization houses. Um, so they kind of act as the middleman. So when their translators are having questions and sending queries, it all comes back to us and I answer get the answers that are needed. Um, but they're actually taking care of like all Natural. of that on their end. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of lucky we don't have to exactly like man like manage all of that too much. We just are constantly like checking in to make sure that their process is going okay and they haven't hit any hiccups. And we're lucky we have great territory managers who are a great quality match reliance for us. Yeah. It's, Amy's right. It's it's rare that it's significantly off. Yeah. So and they've been working with Naughty Dog for a long time and a couple of the European producers right now, they've been um, on our pro the our project since like Uncharted 3. So they kind of know how it goes because they want all the information, how many words, how many lines, and knowing that I can't ever give them that information um, early on. So that's why I try to let them know um, as much as I can ahead of a delivery schedule of how much they should be receiving and which characters are coming their way. We have time for, I think, one more question. Yes. Do you have any tips and tricks you guys have learned over the years on how to ensure match and level quality over in ethnic languages with the best language Um, So that is something that we're still trying, like, still working for um, and, and trying to manage. Um, the last couple of projects we've centralized so that 
Um, we actually have them send their raw files from a localization house to the house that we use for our mixing cinematics. Um, that helped quality a little bit, but still wasn't exactly uh, where you want to get. And you also kind of know like certain languages German's always going to be too loud. Polish will always be too quiet. Um, so you, like, Dutch never uses the right, Eng like, language qualifier at the end of their file. So South American Spanish was its own thing. All over the place. All over the place. Um, so over the years, you know, you kind of know, like, what languages are going to be problematic. So you can kind of have an eye on, like, certain areas, especially in the games, you know, where there's a lot of gunfighting and the music is really loud that those Polish files are not going to be heard. So you can kind of group those and um, adjust their volumes. Uh, we yeah. are trying on this game to send them mastered or at least leveled assets as reference to help out with that. But we are just starting that process. Yeah. So we will see what happens. See. Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm hoping that that will help. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for coming and listening to us. Really appreciate it and appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you.